gentlemen, welcome back to the Being Husband Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan West, bringing you guys another episode here. Telling you guys, like I always do, gents, thank you for being a part of the work that we're doing. If you've been with us for any length of time, then you know what we're all about. We're here to help you men live on mission in your marriage, and today is no different. If you were with us last week, you remember we were talking about the great reset and the economic implications of those things. If you weren't here with us last week and this is your first show, I want to say welcome. We're getting into some dense material here, but I'm not going to go over it too in-depth because I didn't get a lot of interest on this. Um, so if you want to know more, hit me up on Instagram at being husband pod. That's at being husband pod on Instagram. I hang out there quite a bit, probably not as much as quote unquote influencer should, but I need time. I need space. I need I just need to chill. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of guys that that uh, that love being on there and love just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And I'm one of those guys. <laughs> I have a problem. And so I have to get rid of it. I have to like literally delete Instagram off my phone and then download it back whenever I'm about to post something. It's crazy. But anyway, I digress. What we were talking about last week was the Great Reset. And it was just an introduction. I just wanted to kind of get... Uh, our, 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 our feet wet with some of the concepts and some of the themes. So I'm not going to go in depth with it here, but just to kind of set the tone for the conversation, uh, the long, long story short is that the, the, there's a group of people that meet at Davos, which is, uh, I, I believe it's a town in, in Europe somewhere. Um, and it's, it's people that are involved in a coalition called the World Economic Forum. And the World Economic Forum is a group of wealthy billionaires that are sit down at the round table and figure out how they're going to continue in their billions and how they're going to uh, impact the world for the for the better, quote unquote. And they've been doing that for the past 50 years. It's been going on for 50 years. World leaders, politicians, uh, billionaires, bankers, uh, investors, all all of the really, really elite people of the world typically go to this or send somebody that goes to this. Um, and, and what they're wanting to do, the ultimate goal with the Great Reset, the ultimate goal with the World Economic Forum is for corporations and governments to begin to work together in order to do, quote, sorry, to create, quote, necessary social change. That is their end goal. Their end goal is to get, again, corporations, and governments to work together to create necessary social change. Now, social change is a is a word that who knows what they're talking about. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that could mean anything. That could mean anything. And they get into some detail in a lot of their books. And we talked about this on the last episode. Klaus Schwab has a book called COVID-19, The Great Reset. And he points out in this book, and I've got mine, my copy on the way. He points out in his book that basically COVID-19 allowed us to see the impact of lockdowns, the impact of changing the way our economy runs on how that impacted the environment. Less people on the road meant less carbon emissions, da 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 And so he argues in this book that the COVID-19 and the lockdowns are the way life should actually be. It's the way that we should run things. It's the way that the economy should work. And gosh darn it, we're going to make that happen. 
And so now in, now in order for them to change anything, in order for anybody to change anything, they have to have something that's called leverage. And so from a government standpoint, the way that they enact leverage and leverage is just power, right? That's all that that means. The way that the government enacts its power is by force. You're either going to go to jail or they're going to hold a gun up to your head and make you do it. That's how government enacts leverage. The way that corporations do it is a little bit different. It's more by coercion. It's more by persuasion. It's more selling you something. You say, call me now and you can get this for the low, low price of $49.99. It's, 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 it's getting you to want something that you don't know that you really want. It's planning desires for you. And so by combining both of these entities, there's no really need for government to enact forceful leverage at all because you could simply market to people the ideas and the outcomes that you want. And if they don't comply, then obviously you would you would you'd use force. But but if you can just get them to see your point of view, if you can just sell them on the idea. You won't have to worry. Now, this is particularly problematic because what that means is that if you're marketing well, you can sell your idea, but also dissuade other ideas, meaning I could sell you on the fact I could sell you on the fact that mask wearing is the new form of showing that you care about your fellow man. And I could also sell you on the idea that not wearing a mask is equivalent to killing grandma. Does this sound familiar? Now, let me say this from the from the outset. I am not going to make a case that we shouldn't wear masks, and I'm not going to make a case here that we should wear masks. All that I'm saying is, is that in this particular example that I'm providing, I can get you to believe something negative or unworthy simply by my level of persuasion. And guess what? If I'm a corporation and I've got billions of dollars at my disposal, I can throw tons of commercials and messaging and I can pay influencers and I can pay uh, celebrities and I can pay off anybody I want to sell you on a particular idea. Now, again, I'm not saying that not I'm not an anti mask guy. I wear my mask. I go to work. Right. I go to work. I work in the city. I got to wear my mask when I go to the grocery store. I throw it on. I'm putting all my cards on the table. I, I wear my mask, okay? But what I'm trying to get you to understand, and if you're not following me, think about how you could, if those powers were used against someone that was Christian, someone that believed that uh, marriage should be between a man and a woman. If I can market to you to make you think a mask is problem or, or not wearing a mask is problematic, then I could very easily use that same tool and market and sell to you the idea that Christianity is unworthy, that Christianity is bad. And not only now am I just selling you on that idea, but I've got the government behind me in case you feel like you're against what it is that I'm selling. You see where I'm going with this? The, the, the point that I'm trying to make, guys, is that 
we are in a compromised position. Now, whether or not um, th- what we're going through right now with uh, the the government and kind of their their overreach in a lot of areas, uh, and and the the mar- marketing and the propaganda, wherever we're at with any of those things right now, I don't really, I'm not really too concerned with the COVID thing. Like, and what I mean by that is. I'm not necessarily concerned about they're taking my freedoms because they won't let me uh, walk around without a mask. I think I think you're thinking too small. I think what you really need to be paying attention to, what you really need to be considering is that large, wealthy billionaires are working with large, wealthy government officials to give you a new world to live in that's really the thing because what you have there is you have a system where the most wealthy and the most powerful are are working together to create your world for you and if there's anything in that world that they don't want or they don't like they will use the leverage of marketing and the leverage of force should they see fit to. Now, I'm not making any predictions. I'm just laying it out there that that is our current situation. And we all know this now. We're all very aware that things were very corrupt with the way that everything has played out. And if you don't think it's corrupt... I want you to take some time and think about the fact that there were a lot of places in our country that gave social distancing measures to family gatherings and left the malls open. Okay? Just, if you think that this is something ridiculous, I'm just saying they gave restrictions for family gatherings and none for malls and, and places of business. Just a thought. But my main point that I'm trying to get at is this. We have to be careful given the times that we're in. And the best way for us to be careful, and really when I say that, I really mean kind of going on the defensive, is to make ourselves an asset in our communities and to make ourselves an asset in our homes. And so what is an asset? So an asset is anything that adds value, anything that grows in value over time. And so you guys are listening to me right now. You're like, Jonathan, dude, this does not sound like marriage talk. This sounds like some conspiracy stuff mixed in with some prepper stuff mixed in with some uh, you're messing with my freedom stuff. Listen, (laughs) listen, I got a little bit of that in me. I'm not going to lie to you. I got a little bit of that in me. But that's not what I'm here to do. I'm not here to sell you on the latest conspiracy theory. I'm not here to to sell you on the latest political ideology. I'm not here really to sell you anything. I'm here simply to lay the case on why I think you should make yourself an asset and why I think it's important in the coming days. If we're going to take seriously our role as husbands, 
right? If we're really going to take on that role, not just of being the male in the relationship, but the, the, the man that cultivates a culture in his household where everyone can flourish in that household, the, the, the man that's going to make sure that the family is provided for, even if he's not the sole provider or the breadwinner, uh, the man that's going to make sure that his family's protected, at all times, that, that he can see danger coming and has the skill set and wherewithal to act in the face of danger. If we're going to take that role serious, then we need to be developing the skills necessary so that we aren't caught off guard and manipulated to not act in accordance with that role of being a husband. Secondly, as Christians, we should be an entity that is affecting the good of our community by ourselves. There shouldn't, here's the thing, gents, there shouldn't be large corporations and governments getting together, figuring out how they can solve the world's problems. It shouldn't be their role. It shouldn't be their role. It should be our role. It should be our role to figure out what it is that our community needs and how it is that we can fulfill that. Now, of course, we've got to do that at home first and practice and get that skill set down. But once we do, we need to take it abroad and we need to allow ourselves to be useful, to be valuable in our communities. And these two things may seem at odds with one another. And, and if you're not careful, they definitely can be. You can put too much emphasis on what you're doing for your church or your community and, and neglect home, or you can just do the home thing and neglect the community. We need to, as husbands and as Christians, we need to hold both of those things in tension. We need to hold them both because they're both important, right? We're culture builders and culture starts at home and then it spreads abroad. But it does spread abroad <laughs> and it does start at home. So so start right where you're at, at the house, and then get into opening up your doors for the community to let them see, to let them grow, to let them flourish in the culture that, that you've developed based on your convictions that God's given you. So what I want to try to share with you today is just some thoughts that I had on how we can become assets in our community. Um, some of these are monetary and some of these are relational. So let's just jump right into it. Step number one to becoming an asset. Scripture says, owe no man nothing but to love him. So principle number one is get out of debt. Get out of debt. Don't owe anybody anything. Now, granted, let me put this, I'm going to put my cards out there. I still got some debt. I still got some loans. We're, we're clearing them out one by one, but I still got some. Um, I encourage you to get out of it. I encourage you to, to get on the, if it's the Dave Ramsey plan for you, get on the Dave Ramsey plan. If it's just, you know, how your dad taught you how to get out of debt, do it how your dad taught you or your mom taught you or whoever taught you. But do not become a slave to any man. Don't owe any man anything but love. Because when you do that, you're now not at the mercy of that. You're not as thirsty, right? For example, you could get in a situation where your job is saying, hey, listen, there's some stuff coming down the pipe here. Um, 
I know you've been hosting that prayer meeting uh, at work, but we really just need you to tone that down because um, it's not going to look good for our PR. And so the man that isn't filled with debt could say, you know what? That's fine. I'll go find other opportunities. But the man that's strapped, the husband that's strapped with debt, he may not have any other opportunities, right? And that, and, and that bill for that credit card is coming up soon. And baby girl's having a birthday, right? Your wife's having a birthday coming up soon. You got your little ones that are looking forward to Christmas. You got, you know what I'm saying? You, you, you've, you've got responsibilities. You've got things that you've got to get done. And so if you've got that debt leveraged against you, again, it's leverage. If you've got that leveraged against you, you're a lot less free to walk away. You're a lot less free to say no. And so what this does at once is give you back control, give you back your degree of responsibility and at the same time, it allows the free relationship that humans should have, and that's just to love people. <laughs> You're not looking for anything from anybody other than, you know, what's, what's due from, from an honest day's work. But owe no man nothing but to love him. Get out of debt. That's the first principle. Second principle is you need to begin to understand your wife better than she does herself, if you can, or at least really really good <laughs> okay you need to understand your wife it, it there was a time where I thought women were really complicated where I thought my wife was this really complicated creature and and on an individual basis yes everybody's complicated everybody's got a history they everybody's got layers to them it's that's nothing new but in general women aren't that complicated they're really not. Again, she's unique in her own way, but but there are patterns to women. There are rhythms to women, to the way of the woman. And whatever you notice about your wife that's predictable, write it down. Right? Like if she if you know that when you give her flowers, it makes her smile and she wants to cuddle with you. You need to write that down, boss. <laughs> you, need, you, you know what I'm saying? You, you need to get to a place where you can just know what to do and what to say to make a situation sweet, to make a situation all right. Right. You, you, you need to know uh, how her moods change during certain times of the month. You need to know what turns her on, what turns her off. You, you need to know her very, very intimately. She's a part of you. The two shall become one flesh, gentlemen. She's, she is you. You neglecting knowing her is you neglecting knowing yourself. Understand me when I say this. You can't fold up your arms like the dopes on TV and just say, well, I just don't understand those women. You don't have that luxury, my dude. You do not have that luxury. As a, as a, as a Bible-believing man, a man of God, you do not have the luxury to not know your wife as well or better than she knows herself. You just don't have that time. You are, you are building a culture with this woman. 
And if you don't know her, right, you haven't established trust, you haven't gotten to that place with her, it's going to be hard to create anything. It's going to be hard to trust. So get to know your wife better than she knows herself and figure out how it is you can add value to you all's relationship. Because here's the thing. And I'm guilty of this too. You, We think that just because we bring home a check that we've added value. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something right now. It's not the 50s, bro. <laughs> you know, it's not the 50s anymore. It, if women want to get paid by themselves or, or get paid more than what they're getting paid right now, if you've got a working wife, if she wants to do that, in a lot of cases, she can ball on you, bro. <laughs> she, you know what I'm saying? She can out earn you. Women in general are out earning men right now. So your check is not all that. I mean, it's it's good. And she, pref- you know, prefers you having it. But if she has to go get it, she can get it. So the check is not the the primary Value, although it is an important value that you bring, it's not the primary value that you bring. The primary value that you bring in a relationship is grounded in scripture. And that is you being a courageous man, a man that is willing to provide, a man that is willing to protect, a man that is willing to pastor, right? That is that is willing to lead his wife in prayer, lead his wife in devotion, lead his wife to to God as a protector you have a responsibility primarily for her spiritual protection this is where Adam went wrong a- Adam was sitting over there you know you know the story Adam was sitting over there while Eve was talking to the serpent he had his hands in his pockets well he didn't have pockets he didn't have pants but you understand what I'm saying he was sitting over there looking goofy while his wife is being sweet talked to by the bad boy and got her all switched up, got her all on the wrong side of history. All because why? Because he thought it was more important, thought it was more important for him just to stay out of it, right? I take care of her. It's fine. She'll be okay. She's smart. She's a smart girl. She'll figure it out. And she is smart. Eve is very smart, but look, knowledge doesn't equate virtue, gentlemen. Knowledge doesn't equate goodness or godliness. You understand? And so, and she can call you out on the same thing. So don't hear me say this, right? That, that, that men are holier than women. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you have a responsibility just as Adam did to lead his wife in godliness, to strive to be more godly every day and bring her into that striving with you. And you can't do that if you don't understand what drives her, what motivates her, what what gets her to think the way that she does. You got to know her so that you can appeal to the rapport and the relationship and the understanding that you have of her. Understand your wife. Third point. Get productive property. 
This is a little financial one, okay? You guys might not like what I have to say. Here's what I'm saying. I had a mentor years ago. He told me, he said, Jonathan, when you get a house, make sure that it earns you money. And I said, yeah, of course. Like when you buy a house, it always appreciates. He said, no, 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 no. Make sure that it is always earning you income, not just in the market, but income from the house. And I said, huh, that's really weird. I never thought. And I was like, that, that didn't never cross my mind. He said, yeah, because your house isn't really an asset unless it's doing that. He said, if you've got to go leave your house and go way across town to get money to pay for the house just to come back, you're doing it wrong. If that's your only source of income, you need to let your house provide some source of income for you. And so here's what got me thinking is, okay, so I need to turn my house into a place where income is created in some way. Well, how do I do that? How can I make my property productive? I mean, is that running a lawn care business in my neighborhood? Is that starting an online merch business through Amazon? Is that selling pulled pork sandwiches I put on a smoker in my backyard? Is that me running an online fitness coaching business? Is that me selling chicken eggs from my backyard? Chickens, is it a photography business that I that I run or, you know, my wife and I run and we created a studio in the house. I I don't know. I don't know what it will be for you, but you need to make your property productive. It needs to be bringing in some form of income for you because if, if it, if you're, if it's not, it's a liability. Liability, liabilities cost you assets produce for you. And so you just dropped X amount of dollars on that house, say 300000 on a house. And it's going to take you a long time to get that money back unless you figure out a way to make the house pay for itself. And maybe that's not, run, maybe that's not you running a business necessarily, but it could be you running something with your wife or it could be, you know... You running something with your kids. I mean, the sky's the limit. Uh, for those of you that have kids, some of you may not. But the, the point that I'm trying to suggest is you want to make the house pay. And if you can't make that house pay, then go buy a piece of dirt somewhere else that can pay. Maybe you start uh, growing flowers. Maybe you start a cornfield and you just sell at the farmer's market. The sky's the limit with this stuff. But get productive property and make it pay. Fourth thing, lend your neighbors whatever they need. Lend your neighbors whatever they need. Lend your your uh, church group whatever they need. Right? Acts two and forty five says that they were selling. The, this is the early church. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the process. Sorry, the proceeds to all as any had need. Now a lot of you guys will listen to that and you say, Jonathan, it sounds like socialism. <laughs> No, it's not. It's not socialism. This is the church. Remember what we talked about earlier. This is the church being the church, taking care of not just spiritual needs, but physical needs. And with that said, doing that, not expecting Caesar to do that. Right. Because that's where a lot of people get wrong. And they say, see right here, this is an example of socialism. No, it isn't. This is not an example of socialism. This is an example 
of a community, a tribe taking care of its own. That's what this is an example of. This has really nothing to do with the state at all because no one is saying Caesar needs to impose this on everybody. They're saying we're going to do what we can for our own people. And and for and with that said, in order for you to be able to do that, right? Cuz it says that they what? Sold their possessions. You see, when you get into the whole ism debate, the socialism, communism, capitalism, that whole thing, I'm not trying to have that conversation. But the point that I'm trying to suggest, if you just think along the lines of socialism or communism, the government owns things. People don't own things. So you can't have possessions to sell. You understand what I'm saying? You don't have anything to sell in socialism or communism. Everything is owned by the state and they dole out the proceeds as they see fit. In this, in Acts 2 and 4, they sold their own things. The individuals and the families sold their own things and then took care of the people that were in their church. So all that to say, lend your neighbors whatever they want. Right. You remember the good old days where neighbors just used to say, hey, you guys got some sugar. <laughs> I never grew. Here's the thing. I never grew up like that. But I saw TV shows where people would just ask for sugar. Neighbors would ask each other for sugar or ask each other for an egg and milk. I mean, it's just we would never think about doing. Most of us don't even know who our neighbors are or if we do know them. It's just like, a, hey, John, how's it going? Nice Christmas lights. And you secretly, you know, talk crap about John when you go inside the house because you don't think you you don't think he's got his lawn right. You think his fescue's coming up a little funny. You know what I'm saying? Like just it's weird times. It's weird times. Very, very disconnected. Very unneighborly times. But I think. If Acts 2 and 4 teaches us anything is that we need to be active and doing what we can to take care of the people that we love, to take care of the people that are closest to us. Now, maybe that's not your neighbors, right? Maybe that's not your physical next door neighbors, but maybe it's a church small group. You know, maybe it's a group of guys that you meet with. I don't know what it is for you, but whoever your tribe is, whoever your community is, you need to nurture them and lend them whatever it is that they need. Because what that, what that expresses is that expresses that love. Oh, no man, nothing but to love him. And that expresses that love that we were talking about before. Fifth thing. Ephesians 4, looks like, sorry, 4 and 28. It says, let the thief no longer steal. But rather let him labor doing honest work, watch this, with his own hands so that he may have something to what? Share with anyone in need. Learn a hard skill, gentlemen, for living. Learn a hard skill. And this circles back to the, to the point before, which is lend your neighbors whatever they need. Also learn a hard skill that you could sell them. Or that you could you could trade with them on, right? Maybe you're the guy that's really, really good with electrical work. And your next door neighbor is the guy that's really, really good at craftsmanship and woodworking. 
Maybe you guys set up a deal where you could work on his electrical and he could work on any craft project that you've got going on, right? Maybe you're the plumbing guy and your next door neighbor is the guy that builds raised bed gardens, right? So you come over and you help him with any kind of plumbing problem he's got and he's got you help with raised bed gardens or could give you some vegetables out of his garden. Whatever the thing is, learn a hard skill, right? Don't just lend your neighbor what you've got. That's that's good. That's a piece of it. And I, it was one of the points I mentioned. But learn something that you can physically do for them. Something that you can physically uh, physically trade with them on. Because not only is that going to be something that you can do for your neighbors as a bartering tool or that you could use for your neighbors as something you, you know, sell your services, however you structure it. But this, you could also get this to be that entrepreneurial thing that you're thinking about. Right. Whatever you've got in your mind, you say you want to start your own side hustle. You could you could build a skill, build a skill, build a hard skill that not many people like doing. And then you turn around and you sell that to people outside of your community. And then guess what? You bring that back home to 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 the wife. (laughs) And then that's a little extra you can put in the tithe pot. That's a little extra you can put in your 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 emergency fund. That's a little extra you can put towards date night. That's a little extra you can just do whatever with. But you're making yourself an asset by doing that, because now, you know, something that other people have a hard time with. Now, you know what to do. So I. I would say if you're going to pick up a hard skill, I would say start with some of the basics for living first. So cooking, right? Learn how to cook really good. There's a lot of people. You'd be surprised. <laughs> Our generation, man, we um, won't cook anymore. Our generation does not cook anymore. So look into cooking, curating food, whether that's hunting or raising livestock, uh, building uh, so woodworking or welding, et cetera. I would think those 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 few, you start with those few, and I think you're going to be in a situation where you can actually provide some much-needed help to a community. And I, um, I'm just sitting here, man, and I, I've been doing this all day today as I was thinking about recording this episode, and I was just reflecting on my, my granddad. And I'll say this, and I'll leave you alone. I'll, I'll let you guys go. I was just thinking about my my great granddad, his name, we called him Papa Frank. And Papa Frank was my grandmother's uh, grandmother's father. And in the height of racism in the South, when black people couldn't get uh, houses built for them, couldn't get houses that were, uh, you know, nice houses that had you know, good good water systems and good electrical systems. In a situation like that here in Nashville, Tennessee, my granddad, Papa Frank, used to work construction. And there was a site that he was on. And he was able to get some scrap wood. So he got that little bit of scrap wood and he loaded it up and he brought it down, brought it down to North Nashville on a piece of dirt and he took that scrap wood and he built a house out of it. That house still stands today. It's the house my grandmother is living in right now. My grandmother, for context, 
just turned 99 last week. That house has seen five generations of people. Five generations. I think all the all the neighbors that have come around. Think about all the value that's been brought. Think about all the people's lives that Papa Frank and my my grandmother and even my my grandmother's father or sorry not my grandmother's father but my grandmother's husband who is my dad's dad um is he was John P senior John P West senior and um all the lives that he touched right he became it Papa Frank my my great grandfather he became an asset How do I know he became an asset? Because not only was he valuable then when he built the house, but that house has been Christmas parties. That house housed my father. That house housed my grandmother and and my grandfather. That house has housed my my cousins. And all the different family traditions and functions that we have there. An asset, remember, gentlemen, increases in value over time. Papa Frank was an asset. His, his one step that he made during a time where things were trash. It's an awful time to be a black person in the South was the time that he was coming up. And times that were awful, he knew doesn't matter what's going on out there. The buck stops with me. My daughter needs a place to stay. We need a place to stay as a family. And against such hard times, he took on the burden of responsibility and literally built a culture with his hands a culture that still stands today. We still tell stories about Papa Frank five generations later. Gents, one day we will be ancestors. One day we will be like Papa Frank. We'll be the Papa Franks years from now. What do you want your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren to say about you? When they look back at history. Will they say. God that Jonathan West. He was. He was cool but. I don't really know much about him. Or will they say. He created. A legacy that I could step into. And that I'm proud of. He became an asset to the people in this community. And that's whose shoes I get to walk in. Gentlemen, I encourage you today, become an asset and make yourself worthy of the title ancestor. Our time is now.
And it's with that, gentlemen, I thank you for being a part of this episode. If it resonated with you in any meaningful way, I encourage you guys to like it, share it, leave us a rating and review on Apple iTunes. I hope that you will. Uh, and if you want to take it a step further, right, if the Spirit so moves you in such a way, uh, I encourage you to look into becoming a Patreon patron. It's patreon.com slash beinghusbandpod. Low, low price of $2 a month. I mean, all, uh, all I'd be asking for is $2 a month to help us grow, to help us get this message out there to other men. I want to give a great shout out to an awesome patron and a friend of mine, Ben Carter. Ben, I appreciate you. Ben uh, joined our Patreon subscribers last week and gave a great donation, and I really appreciate it. And it is because of uh, his generous donation, uh, also uh, PD and Dennis and some of the other guys. I can't remember all the names, and I should have I got a list together. But any of you guys that have contributed, Micah Mazanowski, he's another friend of mine. Any of you guys that have contributed to that, I want to let you know the camera is coming. <laughs> The camera is coming, and I'm excited, and I'm looking forward to doing uh, more video stuff as well. So thank you for, for being a Patreon patron. Again, if the Spirit has moved you in that way, please go take care of that. Patreon.com slash pod or podcast. I can't remember. Anyway, that being said, gentlemen, as always, I want to thank Octave Studios for the intro and outro music. And it's with this I tell you guys to take care and build on.